Well, good morning. So we are, uh, we're in a series called Signs of Greatness. In fact, we're in the last week of that series. This is it. We're closing it down today. And, and, uh, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, just saying, Lord, teach us who you are. In fact, if you go to John chapter 20, he says that he's recorded these signs that you might believe. And so we walked through the seven signs, the seven miracles, what they were and, and what should we know about the Son of God and, and what should we grasp about Jesus and his power and his authority. And just as a quick review, we saw him as the transforming God uh, with the water turning to wine, where he literally can take what is and make it better. We saw him as a healing God who takes the sick and corrects and makes what makes it right. We saw him as the restoring God, taking long-term disablement and getting rid of it. Like he is our regenerating, restoring, healing, transforming God. We saw him as a providing God as he fed the 5,000. Remember, he took the 15 to 20,000 plus people, 5,000 men, so they call it the feeding of the 5,000, but there were probably about 15 to 20,000 and he ended up feeding them bread in the wilderness basically showing them that he was the next Moses, the prophet that was alluded to for so long, and he is our providing God. We see him as the protecting God when he was walking on the water, when he taught Peter how to have more faith, when he showed them that he ruled even over nature, he rules over all, and we can lean on him. We saw him as the God who gives sight, the one who was taking the blind man and helped him to see. In fact, all those around him weren't getting it, but the blind man got it. And he was able, from the basic position he came from, to teach them of the authority of God and his ability to give sight, to show what it means to see. We see in 2 Corinthians 3, where he talks about, and 4, tearing the veil away and what it means to literally see him clearly as the Holy Spirit moves. That's God's power. That's God's ministry in our lives. And then the last one is he is life-giving. As we looked at Lazarus last week, he takes the dead and he gives revitalized life. He moves us to a place of life with him. Those are the seven signs that John recorded in the gospel of John. Powerful, short and direct. God changes us. We have hope. Amen. Hey, that's what it's all about. We have a God who brings hope. May we lean on him with all we've got. So today I just wanted to close with an exclamation point. I wanted to make sure we understood that when he says in John chapter 20 that we might believe that we understand what it means to believe. So that's what we're going to be walking through today. Lord, help me grasp what it is to believe. What do I need to know? What do I need to embrace? What do I need to do? That I might believe in you, the God of the universe, for life eternal. So turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, verse 21. We got the ushers coming forward, and they've got some Bibles in their hands. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'll get one to you, all right? Romans 3, verse 21 is where we're going to start. All right. So the first point, first thing to grasp, his glory He is stunningly, gloriously perfect. And we are woefully short of that. He is stunningly, gloriously perfect, and we are woefully short of that. His glory. Let's grasp how great 
God is, all right? So let's just start in verse 21 here. He says, uh, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the laws. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So uh, just starting at the beginning there, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness, the goodness, the perfectness, the holiness, the absolutely no mistakesness of God demonstrated apart from the law. Well, what's he talking about? Well, remember, he is also writing to a Jewish community here, and he's saying, look, I understand that the law made clear what was right and wrong, but let's be honest. You and me, we're not upholding the law 100%. In fact, if you fail in one point, it's as if you failed in all, right? James chapter 2. And, and so let's be careful. The law just brings clarity that we've come up short. And so it's not through the law that there's righteousness. No, it's through Jesus Christ. God Almighty clothing himself with mankind, with humanity, coming down for you and for me, living a perfect life. His righteousness for you and for me. Jesus Christ clothing us with that righteousness. It says that there has been righteousness manifested apart from the law that's through Jesus Christ. Now, he says, now hear me, we're not throwing away the law and the prophets. It says the law and prophets, well, they bear witness to it. You see, it makes clear what's right and wrong in the law and the prophets. It makes clear that we need a savior in the law and the prophets. It makes clear that we need lamb shed blood covering us. And he is actually the lamb of God for us. The law and the prophets work together with Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled the law and the prophets. And because of it, we have righteousness through him. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Man, we better hear that. Through faith for all who believe. Like this righteousness is available. It's available for you and for me. We have a chance to experience perfection. Not because we live it perfectly. We all kind of know that, right? It doesn't take but another 20, 30 minutes of walking out of the services and we experience our imperfection, doesn't it? You hop in your car, you're on your way to go to a meal, and you're like, I'm so hungry, and some guy cuts in line in front of you. Like, what's that all about, right? And all of a sudden, we start going off on our me world stuff, right? And how quickly do we lose a grasp on God and his glory and perfection and Jesus' righteousness available to us through our faith to all who believe. What's that mean? That's what we're going to cover in the another portion here. So I'm going to hold back on that a little bit right now. Just know this. It's not given to every single person everywhere. It's given to those who have faith and believe. Putting yourself under his authority. All right. Now notice it says, for there is no distinction. For there is no distinction. I love that statement. Uh, look, he's saying this. There is unity in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we all stand in the same position. He's going to discuss that position in the next verse here. But let's just get this. There is unity in the church. There is to be unity in the body. If we trust in Jesus Christ, there is not to be distinction. Man, let me just say that one more time. If we trust in Jesus Christ, there is not to be distinction. Not socioeconomic. They make this. I make this. Their title is this, but my title, our greater title, 
right? It's not that. It's not, I live in this town, you live in that town. It's not that. Be careful. You'd be amazed how much that disease gets in and among us as we start becoming lovers of location rather than lovers of God and lovers of people. Let's make sure that we grasp the greatness of God and it changes us. That there is no distinction in how we treat others because we all come to him the same way. How do we come to him? Notice what it says. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've heard this verse a lot, Tim. And yeah, so let's just go over it one more time, all right? So for all have sinned and fall short. We've talked about this, right? It's an archery term. Picture a guy knocking an arrow, pulling back and firing. He's actually in a competition, and this was a sports term that meant the arrow missed the mark. But not just kind of missed the mark. Like it missed the bullseye, it missed the rings, it missed the whole doggone target. It came up short, it hit the sand, turf flew, and everybody went, oh. It's one of those, okay? I'm talking about, and we've used the analogy before, like in basketball, where you shoot and they miss everything, and then everybody chants. Right? It's like an air ball in basketball, and that's worth how many points? Exactly. Let's keep that in mind, right? And so somehow we love to compare air balls. Like, my airball dude was way closer than your airball. I hit the rim almost. You must have missed by feet while I missed by inches. And, and how much is each airball worth? Let's not forget that. Airballs, that's where we stand. It's like I was watching soccer this last week. Yes, I actually watched a soccer game on TV for a little bit. It's hard watching it on TV. Hey, it's one thing to go and watch a soccer game like the high school games and you're excited for the, for the kids and what's going on there and you can cheer for them. When I am watching some international sports thing and I don't know a player and they score once every 59 minutes, that is tough. And he's dribbling in and he's breaking free and I'm like, he's going to score. You wouldn't believe how excited you get when you're sitting there watching for a long time. And he boots and it's like three feet left and I'm like, you totally missed. And, and then you go sit down and you're like, change channels now, right? That's what he's talking about. You missed the goal completely. You've shot an air ball. You've come up short for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now let's make sure we understand the glory of God. Man, that's an abstract term, isn't it? Think about it for a second. How would you define the glory of God? Give it a try. Okay, I will now interrupt your thoughts. So this is what I came up with this week. Just looking some things up. I would say it this way. His splendor, his greatness, his excellence, his preeminence. I would say it this way. Like heat is to fire, like wet is to water, so glory is to God. It's just innately a part of him. It's a grandeur and an otherness. It's something we barely can grasp because we're so not that. And he is so that. God's glory. It's a sense of his presence. Did you know that? We are actually told that we have the opportunity to sense his glory. But in fact, you can never lay your eyes actually on God himself. We laid our eyes on his glory. It's a sense of his presence. Here's some big words for you. It's the manifest presence 
of his transcendence. Two 90 cent words all in one sentence there for you. This manifest presence of his transcendence, meaning his otherness, transcendence. And it's how he expresses that into this world so that we can have a sense that he is there. God's glory. Yeah, we've come way short of that. God in all of his grandeur, we're short. That's kind of easy to buy, isn't it? Like that much perfection and that much power and that much omni, like all everything, and then we're not that, right? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we're told in Romans 6, 23, that the wages of that coming short is eternal separation from him, death. We're in a grievous position before God. His glory, his perfection, well, that's the measuring stick. That's what we need to be comparing against. Not the guy next to us, but him. And we come up woefully short. You know, what do we do when we recognize his glory? I'll just tell you this. Uh, two stories I'm going to share this morning from uh, when I was on staff up at Harvest Naperville. Uh, we were running a young adult singles ministry when we had first started there, my wife and I. And uh, just about 80 to 100 kids. And we were working with them and had a blast with them. One of the girls came to us and said, my grandma comes out of a Catholic background. She's having a hard time believing. She was wondering if she could talk to a pastor. Would you come over for dinner? And so my wife and me and, and our kids, we all went over to their house for dinner. And, and her grandma, who was in her 80s, had some questions. And so we were graciously waiting until she would ask these questions. And, and it got through the whole night. And we've had a great dinner and chatted and talked. And, and she's never asked any questions. And, and uh, it turns out at one point, her grandma exited the room for a moment. And she's like, I don't know why she's not asking any questions. I think she didn't get who you were. I'm like, Seriously? Like you invited us over. We set the whole thing up. You introduced us. She goes, I think she didn't hear. She's got a little hard of hearing problem. I said, okay. <clears throat> so as she walks back in the room, she goes, hey, Grams. She goes, yeah. I don't know if you caught this, but this is my pastor. Oh, well, then I have some questions for you. <laughs> so she turns her chair around and sets me down like this far from her. Literally, we're sitting just a few inches apart facing each other. And she starts going off on her questions. And, and we answered the questions as we went along. But her biggest one was simply this. Who is this Jesus? Is he really God? And do I need to obey what he says? That's where I'm really at. I need to know. Okay. And, and so as we started working through it, I said, can I just show you some passages? And she said, I don't want one. I'm going to need numbers. If there's one, I don't know what I do with that. And so we walked through a bunch of different proofs. Okay. And we, I just, so you know, like ex, this is a great proof. Exodus three fourteen. God says, Hey, let me give you my personal name. I am welcome to me. I exist from eternity past to eternity future. My name is I am. Okay. Now fast forward to John chapter eight, verse 58. Jesus is talking to the, to the Pharisees and the disciples. And he says, listen, y'all before Abraham was, he was Southern. I don't know. Before Abraham was, I am like, he didn't have a grammar problem. He should have said before Abraham was, I was. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And he used the personal name of God. And the Pharisees, they picked up stones to stone him. Look, he claimed personally to be God himself. Other passages, hey, Titus 2 calls him God and Savior. Right? We have passages all over. Hebrews chapter 1, he is called God. 
It is important that we understand, yes, Jesus is God. He shares the glory of God Almighty. And so I shared this with her, and you know what she said to me? I said, so what do you think of that? And she goes, well, apparently he's God. I said, so what do you do with that? She goes, time to do what he says. And so we walked through the gospel message, and she accepted Christ that night. She said, it's time for me to commit my life and soul to him. I've only got a few years left, and I want to be following him with all I've got. It's a lot to recognize the glory of God. Here's my question for you. Have you recognized the grandeur, the otherness, the greatness of Jesus Christ? Have you just stopped and stared at him and found yourself in awe? That's our first job in this world is see him in all his glory. Lord, I want to know you and I want to know you as you are. Remember, as heat is to fire and as wet is to water, so the glory is to God. Get to know him in his greatness. That's our first step, okay? His glory. Second, his gift. God offers justification where it was never deserved. God offers justification where it was never deserved. You ready? He says here, we'll start back in verse 23 just so we've got a running start into verse 24. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now here we go. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. So let's just go back and answer some of these big words. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Justified. This word is a big word. It basically means really declared not guilty. It means we will not apply to you the penalty that might be due you. You are treated as having not sinned, as if perfect, justified, okay? So he has justified us by grace. Grace, it means giving you uh, what you don't deserve, right? Have you ever heard it as an acronym? Grace, so you do the G-R-A-C-E, so God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace, it's like I don't deserve this. But you're pouring it on me. Wow. Grace. God sharing with me what by no means is earned. But by every means is just him. And then the next word says as a gift. Giving a gift. What does that mean? Well, it means he just decided to give it to me. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do in the end where I say it's all about me. Check that box. I actually say it's all about you. Check that box. Are you hearing me? It's all about you, Christ. Just say that with me. It's all about you. See, that's what we grasp for most when we understand salvation. Your perfection, not mine. Your works, not mine. Your cross, not mine. May you get the glory. That's the gift that he's offering up. So how do we receive that gift? Yeah, we're going to talk about that in the next point. But notice this. He says, are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Like his work on the cross is doing some redeeming. He's paying a price that we owe and we can never pay it ourselves. The only payment we can make is eternal separation. He makes a payment that brings us to him. Redemption. Glorious redemption through our Savior, Jesus Christ. It says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's a dollar ten cent word, right? So what's that mean? Well, the word really just means replacement payment. Okay? So it's been offered as a replacement payment. What has? His blood for you and for me. What we owe is going to require our blood and eternity of separation from him. But Christ pays on our behalf. His blood. And here's the deal. Because he's perfect and it's completely inappropriate, his death, it's now not applied to him. So he can apply it where he chooses. And he chooses to offer out to anyone who has faith and belief in him. His shed blood to replace what we owe. Absolutely no other way to get to be with him for eternity. A heaven is not a place we go to enjoy for life because it's about the place. Heaven is about the person of God Almighty. Us spending eternity with the Almighty King, our Savior, and what He has done for us at the cross of Calvary. Let's not be about earning it. It doesn't work. It's just air balls coming up short. He, His perfection for me, a gift, a glorious, gracious, awesome gift. Wow. That is nothing short of stunning. Notice it says, by His blood. You know, we talked about the law and how it's tying Christ together with the law. Uh, the blood was called for, blood sacrifice in the law. It said, basically, know this, any of your sins will require blood to cover them. Jesus Christ now becomes the Lamb's blood offering. And when John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, man, did he know what he was saying. You know what I'm talking about? Like all sin for all people that believe in him and have faith in him, his shed blood to cover them. That's our great savior and his plan. He loves to give hilariously. God gives an awesome set of gifts. You know what I'm talking about? Like when he gives, oh, you know, he's given. Uh, I'll just use another example here. Uh, again, up north and on staff at Harvest Naperville. And at one point there, I moved on from doing young adult ministry. I was doing uh, adult ministries and working with the small groups. So my job was what Mike Klaffenstein's job is down here, okay? And uh, I was doing that job and uh, loved doing it, loved meeting with people. And I got a letter one day, opened it up, and it said, uh, just want you to know, I live in Texas. You sent us a, a visitor's thank you for coming and uh, we, we sent out assimilation letters. Hey, just thanks for coming. Great to have you with us. Usually we didn't send them out of state, okay? And somehow it made it through the filter. Somehow. God knows what he's doing, right? And so this letter gets down to her in Texas. She sends a letter back and it says this. My husband who visited your church is having an affair with someone in your church. Please make him stop. Great. <laughs> right? Love getting those letters. Set that aside. And, and, and so 
it sat there burning a hole in my desk for about two and a half days. And I'm like, okay, it's Wednesday night. It's time to deal with this letter. And so I called the woman who was named in the letter and we chatted a little bit. And I said, do you realize, well, first of all, I started much more gently. Uh, are you seeing someone? And why do you ask? Well, I received this letter and it appears that there is someone who is married that is, and your name was given. And she goes, I know. I found out last week he's married. We're done. I said, okay, so you started seeing somebody, you're not seeing him now, and it's all done. She goes, it's done. Have you told him it's done? Yes. Make it done, please. Do not respond to any more phone calls. Do not contact him. Call it quits. Can you do that? Absolutely. All right. So you're in that spot. I'm going to hold you accountable. Be calling you next week. I need to make a couple more phone calls. And so we hung up um, as we prayed a little bit to close it out there, and then I went to call this woman in Texas. And uh, as I began to talk with her, her first statements were something along these lines. Hey, if they like each other so much, let them have each other. And so I said, can I just tell you that that's not our position? Like we believe in God Almighty and his holy scripture, the word of God, the Bible. And it says that your marriage is absolutely important and that you are absolutely important. And we're here to back you and back your marriage. I'm not good with that answer you just gave. We're going bigger than that. Let's look for restoration. What do you think? And, and she started to cry and she said, look, people aren't for me and I'm getting hurt everywhere. And, and as we talked things through, I just recognized she didn't have a hope. And I said, can I just walk through this gospel message with you? Have you ever heard this before? And I began to walk through who is Christ. We walked this passage, Romans chapter 3. And, and do you grasp what God's done for you? And do you know who he is in your life? And, and at the end of it, she said, I don't get this. I've never done this. And will he take me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Right here, right now. Are you ready? She said, yes, let's do it. And so at that moment, she committed her life to Christ. And it went from one of those letters you want to put aside and never make a phone call again to, right? To all of a sudden, God has answered a prayer. Another name is written in his Lamb's book of life. An eternity of salvation for a total change, right? God's a great giver. We're not done yet. Yeah, that's worth applause. Hang on, you'll applaud more. So then, I'm like, hey, we need to get you into church. And she goes, that'd be great. I'm like, what did I just say? I don't know of any churches in Texas. What am I thinking about, right? So I'm like, I'll give you a call. What am I saying? And so the days go on, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I get through Sunday. I have yet to find a church other than just winging it. Like, hey, that church sounds good. Give them a call. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. And so I'm holding on, and I, I end up giving a, uh, well, I had to go visit a small group that Sunday night who was giving a party. And uh, one of the guys was going away. His family was. They were moving to Texas. Texas. I'm like, hey, have you ever heard of Katy, Texas? And he's like, come on, you're pulling my leg. I go, no, I'm just, I know you're moving to Houston, but have you ever heard of Katie? He goes, no, man, we're moving to Katie. It's right next to Houston. <laughs> All right, well, do you know of a good church there? Yeah, I grew up there. Like, this is the church you want to get them plugged into. Great. Here's my problem, though. It's a very unique situation. We have a Hispanic woman who has gone through some hurt. Uh, she's a victim of an affair. And uh, just recently found out and shut it down. She accepted Christ this last week on Wednesday. And we're trying to plug her in somewhere. And he goes, shut up. You're kidding me. I go, no, why? What are you talking about? He goes, you're pulling my leg. Who told you to say this? Dude, I'm not pulling your leg. What are you talking about? He goes, all right. My best friend runs a group in Katy, Texas at this church 
for Hispanic women, victims of affairs, new believers. Let's get her plugged in this week. So we call up and we get them hooked with each other. And she's been attending there and on fire. I called the next year later just to see how she was doing. And we had a great laugh. She's on fire for Christ and running with him. Still struggling things with the marriage and trying to get her husband to see who Christ is and the greatness of him. But God working. Amen. Amen. Does our God give hilariously? Amen. Hey, his glory, his gift. Like, that's what we need to grasp. Our God loves to give. I'm telling you, we have an amazing king. My question to you is this. Have you ever just stopped and said, I'm done with the me game. I'm ready to see you in all your glory. And I'm ready to see your gift as clearly as you give it. Lord, thank you for your death on the cross. I never deserved it. Lord, I'm in awe of who you are. You're stunning. Thank you for how you give to me. Have you been there? Have you reflected on his glory and his gift and just stopped with the me games? It's time for us to settle on him and his grandeur. Third step. What do we do with the gift? Ready? Our faith. Receive what you could never earn. Receive what you could never earn. Our faith. Here we go. We're starting out in verse uh, verse 25. I'm just going to read again to get a running start here. He says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by, by his blood to be received by faith. Could we be more clear? To be received by faith. Not to be received by trying as hard as you can and really having some good works and making sure God sees you as you, right? And, and by, by believing all the right things and trying to show yourself as being able to pass the theology quiz when you, right? It's it, by faith we receive this. We're going to talk more about what the faith means here. Uh, faith. How do I understand it? How do I go after it? So if you can, just flip over a couple pages to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Not sure I get this faith thing. It seems kind of abstract. Can you help me get some clarity to that? Oh, yeah. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Love hearing the pages flip. I'm hanging on. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Here we go. Verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Uh, Is that clear? So if we confess with our mouth and if we believe, okay? So let's just walk it through real carefully. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is a Lord, like you're in charge, God, and and not like you're in charge over there. I'm going to be in charge of my world. Not that kind of like you're in charge and I'm under you. I get who you are and I'm willing to sit under your authority. You are now my God. If you confess with your mouth, like, I'm trusting you, Lord, I'm in. That's number one. And number two, and believe, and believe what? Now, be careful. If we would give this test without looking at the paper, you might say, believe that he died on the cross for my sins. Well, that sounds good, and, and I get that, and that's also great to know, but that's not what he says here. Take a look at what he says. 
that if you believe that God raised him from the dead. See, grasp this. He wants you to understand his power. God raised him from the dead and his authority. He is Lord. That's what salvation is. I grasp that you are alive. You died on the cross for my sins, but you rose again. You are alive. You have all power. You have all authority. That's who you are. I recognize your power in my life. And I recognize your authority in my life. You will be saved. Clear? That's what faith is. It's about his power and his authority. Okay, so... That's nice that we now know what it is. Let's make sure we understand what it isn't. It always helps to have the haves and the have-nots, right? So here we go. What it's not. Top four ways or top four wrong plans of salvation. Top four wrong plans of salvation. The first one I call the forget about it plan. You know what I'm talking about? When you just go, forget about it. It's kind of fun to say. You kind of have to shrug your shoulders when you do it, though. Go ahead and try it with me. Forget about it, right? It's the, who cares? Got to work it out in the end. And, and I've even heard it go this far lately, right? It's, hey, God is a God of love. And so in the end, love will always win. And so God will just put me in heaven. He'll put all of us in heaven. Forget about it. There's no big deal. Uh, that answer is <clears throat> wrong, okay? It does say that the gift is only received by those who have faith. We better not have a forget about it plan, all right? Number two, I call this the scales plan. God has these big, giant, divine scales. And on the one side, he pours as much all the good that you've done. And on the other side, he pours all the bad. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, then he's like, looks good. You're in, right? And somehow, the people coming into heaven are not clothed with perfection, Christ's righteousness. They're clothed with their own half-hearted goodness. Right? And that's missing it completely. Our goodness is one thing. Airball. Like the scales plan leaves us in one spot. Needy. Do you know what I'm saying? It comes down to this simple. When we're just trying to be good and earn it to get in, God says, hey, you can try to do the, the, the good thing. Like, and if you try to go after the goodness, I'm just telling you I have one measure. 100% good, 0% bad. That's what we're looking for. Oh, by the way, the only one who's achieved that, Jesus Christ himself. Get on his bandwagon or you're in trouble because everybody else measures somewhere in here. Know what I'm saying? So the scales plan. Be careful. A lot of us have been taught, well, you just try. You just do the best you can and God will let good people in. That is not what scripture says. It is who has faith in him, believing and confessing. Lord, you have all authority, you have all power, and I'm under you. It is your righteousness I'm depending on. Clothe me with that and nothing else. Okay, so the forget about it plan, the scales plan. Uh, The next one I call the head only plan. This is like, sounds really good. I mentally agree that Jesus is God and that he died on the cross. And if you want to use your blood to cover my sin, you can go ahead and do that. But it clearly will not be affecting my heart or my hands I will not follow you. I will not do what you want. I will do what I want. But you can do that forgive thing if you want to. I mentally agree that Jesus has done that. And so somehow we think we can ask him to forgive us and and walk through that. We've like agreed here, but not here and here. Like it's not going to affect what I do. And it's not going to affect what I think and where I go. I'm just going to 
mentally agree to a few truths and that should be enough. And James chapter 2 says the devils believe and they tremble. Look, where you stand makes a big difference. Underneath his authority, obeying his commands, following through with what he calls you to is a part of salvation. It's more than just some mental agreement. In the Western world, we love to separate things and compartmentalize, okay? But when scripture says believe, it's all in, wholehearted, I get it, let's go. That's belief. Leaning on him with your whole weight. That's what we talked about in the first week of the series. Leaning on him with your whole weight, okay? Belief and confession. It's about response. It's about following through and willingness to. Well, what if I don't follow through perfectly? Hang on, we're going to cover that in just a moment, okay? So the head-only plan. And the fourth one that just does not work, pray for the benefits plan. The pray for the benefits plan. Now, I'm going to be really clear here, so I need everybody looking up at me. We're going to be real careful here, okay? This one goes something like this. Just pray a prayer. Okay? Just pray. Now, don't get me wrong. Praying is great, and establishing your walk with Christ through a prayer is fine, but it's not the praying that saves. It's the overall commitment of belief and confession. We just read that, right? So pray a prayer is an initiation of it. I'm great with that. But just pray a prayer. And and even worse, some of the prayers go like this. Get ready. It's going to get touchy now. Right? I've heard this a lot. Just pray to ask Jesus into your heart. Chapter and verse, please. It doesn't exist. Now, there is a benefit. We see in Ephesians that if you do accept Christ as Savior, if you trust in him, that the Holy Spirit does take up residence. We see the spirit of Christ within us. And so praying for Jesus to come in is praying for a benefit. Are you hearing it? It's what happens after salvation. I might also say, Lord, could you uh, could you please prepare a place for me? Because you say you prepare a place for us. Right. So can you do that? Or, uh, Lord, could you please guide me into all truth and righteousness? Can you do that? And like, hey, those are benefits. Let's just start with what it says to do. Believe and confess. You see, when we skip what we need to do and jump to the benefits plan, it's a lot like reading the mortgage and going, I don't care what it costs. Can I just have the keys now? Right? And and he's like, you need to understand there's some responsibility on your side. There's an if clause. Believe and confess. That's what it is. All right. So we need to be careful that we don't just dive into a simple prayer for benefit. And, and then we end up with people who are like, when I was uh, four years old, I, I prayed for a benefit. And since then, I've done nothing with God and I don't care what he has to say. And I do what I want. And I'm going to be really direct now. That's not saved. Let's be really careful. Please hear me. Many of us have grown up in traditional churches, me included. I'll raise my hand, one of the highest on it, okay? I've heard the phrases. I get it. I totally understand the sincerity and wanting to help people grasp it and trying to make it clear with black and white. But what we end up doing at times is we so simplify that a person has actually not believed and confessed. They truly haven't put themselves into God Almighty's hands for an eternity and said, you are Lord. And I get it. I'm not perfect in it, but I get it. And I'm with you, God. And so, so what if I'm sinning? And so now let's talk about that for a second. Here's what it looks like to be a believer. I'm with you, God, and I'm walking with you and I'm, and I totally get it. And woo, that would be nice for self over there, wouldn't it? 
And we take a little me jaunt on sin land and we, we do something out over here about me and, and thinking about me and doing the wrong things against him and his glory. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit whisper catches us in the, you do not want to be here and, and let it go. And, and, and here's the next step. Lord, I'm so wrong with where I was and please forgive me for that. And I'm, and I'm done with that. Are you hearing it? Not just forgive me lip service, but like I'm done with it and my feet come back to you and I'm following you and I'm running with you. And that's what it looks like is obedience right here, right now. I'm willing to follow you, Lord. What do you want done? Saved. Is that clear? And let's look, let's keep it clear. We're told that there is wheat and chaff in the end times. Why? Because a lot of people are buying into statements like, I prayed for a benefit. Should be good enough. I kind of did the, hey, can you please apply that to me? And now I'll do whatever I want. Not biblical. Lord, I want to believe in you and confess you with all I've got. Clear? Looking for a verbal. Clear? Man, let's be clear on this. All right? This is everything for your eternity. Lord, may it not be about my works. I can't earn enough. It's all about your righteousness. I am stunned with your glory and greatness. I am in awe of your gift. And I want to respond to you with all I have. Notice it says here, just for those who are wondering, hey, what happened to those Old Testament guys who died before Jesus? Look what it says. I love how he answers everything for us. He says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Hey, look, there were guys who had sinned before the time of Christ and he was holding on. He's like, I know what's coming and I'm putting them in holding and I'm going to pay for them at the time of Christ. Well, who did he apply him to? It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And then he goes on right at the beginning of Romans 4, 1 to say, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Faith saves. That's where we're at. Belief that God raised him from the dead. Power. An absolute understanding of his authority. You are Lord. And what you want, there I follow. Take me, Lord. What do you want done? Saved. Okay? And as we work our salvation through, we go from one degree of glory to another, meaning one level of perfection to the next, meaning, man, I can't stand how much I make that mistake to, whew, I'm making that mistake less. Let's go. I'm getting it. And I'm starting to grasp his power more and more. And every time I come back to him and put him in charge of my life and I'm running with him with all I've got saved, believing, trusting. That's what it looks like. Okay. Well, what role does works have then? What role does works have? I I just copied a few of these quotes off. Um, Two of them come from Matt Chandler here this last week. thought they were powerful. Just listen to these quotes. The role of works. He says, The marker of those who understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is that when they stumble and fall, when they mess up, they run to God, not from Him. Because they clearly understand that their acceptance before God is not based upon their behavior, but on the righteous life of Christ and his sacrificial death as a gift. I'm in awe. Your gift, I never earned it. 
And because of it, I'm running back to you, Lord. I can't make you love me more. I can't respond to you in any way that will make you lavish on me more. You are at max lavishing with me at all times. I'm running back to you and your salvation. I just say it this way. It's him for me. Him for me. So my, my sin is nothing but a moment of opportunity to grow in him. But it's something to let go of right now. Like, Lord, I'm sorry. I know it's an offense to you. I'm done with it. And I'm turning from it and I'm running back to you. Teach me. Change me. What would you have done? Our sin is an opportunity to be changed. Another quote from Matt. Church of Jesus, let us please be men and women who understand that the difference between moralism and the gospel of Jesus Christ is massive. The difference between moralism and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Meaning, don't just run out and do good works. It doesn't get it done. Moralism. It's, Lord, I am in awe of what you've done for me. I'm trusting in you. And so any works I do are a thank you offering back to you. I'd simply say it this way. He says, let's be careful to preach the do's and don'ts of Scripture in the shadow of the cross's declaration. It is finished. The work of Christ is done. We earn no more. It is handed completely to us. God Almighty is great. His righteousness is perfect. Nothing we can do can add to it. Our gifts of running to him and being thankful to him and doing good works with him and for him are nothing but a thank you offering saying, you're awesome and I'm stunned. So let me just summarize it this way. These are my little three points to summarize it, okay? Uh, Works first. Like, I'm going to earn it? Heresy. Well, no works at all then. Heresy. Works after it in order to say thank you because I'm amazed by your glory and your gift? Saved. Okay? That's the role of works in our life. It's after salvation as a thank you offering. Lord, I'm stunned by your glory and your gift. And I'm in awe of who you are and I sit under your power and I sit under your authority right here and right now you've got my heart belief that's what John called us to that's God's plan for salvation all right let's just go to prayer here and I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up look I just want to give everybody an opportunity to respond here a chance to consider where you're at with him. And maybe this is that moment where you've got to consider it and say, it's time, I'm done. Lord, I'm in. So let's just bow our heads. Let's just close our eyes. Just take a moment before him to consider his glory, his greatness, His preeminence, his stunningness, his vastness. Just consider God right now and thank him for who he is. And now let's consider his gift. Lord, we came up short. You gave us a free will choice and we chose to shoot the air ball, to miss so completely. Our goodness is nothing 
and you offer us forgiveness through your righteousness, through your shed blood on the cross, I'm in awe. I don't deserve this. I have nothing because of you. I have everything in you. Thank you for your gift. Just thank him now for his great gift of salvation available to us. giant step do you have faith do you believe in his power and his authority are you committed to him with all you've got maybe you're like I don't know up till this moment I really don't know that I am but I'm thinking that's a good idea right here right now make this your moment to say Lord I'm in I'm putting a stake in the ground on June 3rd, 2012. I'm in with all I've got. This isn't a one-shot, Lord, and I know it's not going to be perfect, but I'm following you with all I've got now. I want to hear from you. Teach me, train me, and grow me. If that's where you are, today is your day of salvation. Just let them know. Just tell them. Remember, prayer is not what saves. It's not just pray and be saved. It's, Lord, I'm committing both now and forward to you. But I'm committing. You might want to pray just something like this to him quietly. Lord, I believe. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And you have all power. I'm trusting in your work on the cross. And your blood cover me. Thanks for what you're doing in Romans chapter 3. And Lord, I stand in awe. Please help me now as I confess you as Lord and recognize your authority. I want to run with you. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Heads bowed. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, Scripture tells us your name was just written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Scripture tells us that the angels are celebrating over salvation so rich, the the hilarious gift given, not deserved. Celebrate that with Him. And and here's my request for all of us in here: Do you believe? then it's time to live gospel-centered. It's time to say, Lord, as we go out, I want everything to be about you. And I'm ready to give it all over to you, Lord. I want you to teach me and train me in every moment of every day, gospel-centered, not just gospel-started, but gospel-living. Lord, may you be celebrated in my life. May the works that I live be a thank you offering to you. I trust you. You're awesome. Just pray that with him now. Let him know. I'm in, Lord. I'm all in. No greater glorious gift than a church on fire for Jesus Christ. Lord, we just celebrate you. As we close in prayer here, Lord, we recognize we have nothing without you. We have everything with you. It's all because of you. May we live gospel-centered. May we breathe gospel-centered. May you get the glory for all of eternity. 
to God be the glory. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.